Nobody goes to the communications team for a talk to me about how to be a better communicator with my team and give me the tools to go and do that. And then I'm going to come back to you as and when I need you. That was Jenny Field from Redefining Communications. And this is Remote Control. With me today on the Remote Control podcast is Jenny Field. Jenny's the Director of Redefining Communications and co-founder of IC Crowd. Jenny, you're also about to become the president of the CIPR, so really glad you could squeeze this in. <laughs> Thank you very much for having me. It's really nice to be here. So when I was researching for this podcast, it became very quickly apparent that I should speak to you. So um, lots of people point me in your direction in terms of being an engaging personality and a real um, expert. But I also came across the research that you did with Social Optic all around remote working and internal communications. So, yeah, I just thought it'd be perfect fit to get you on the on the remote control podcast. Sounds like it. Yeah, no, definitely uh, an area that we've been looking at in the last year to really try and uh, get over the issue that people have with communicating with a remote or a, a deskless workforce. So that's a really good point there. They just kind of mentioned remote or deskless. And I think that would be a great point to start off with just be clarifying maybe the definition of remote workers for this research. Uh, so the the research came about on the back of the uh, Gatehouse State of the Sector research, which is a report done by Gatehouse, which is a, a Gallagher company. And they do that every year where they report on internal communications. And every year we see fairly similar themes. And last year, 2018, it was communicating with remote workers. So to help move that forward, the research came out of really trying to understand why this continued to be a barrier for internal communicators. And we specifically looked at the workers that were cafe workers, train drivers, uh, people working in the fire service. So those people that work for organisations where they aren't at a PC, they aren't at a desk, uh, and their job is is completely remote and distant from the centre, and often from their managers as well. So it's a, it's a growing challenge. I think as society, we're seeing more and more people in those sorts of roles. So it was designed to really try and spend time with those individuals, talk to them, uh, and find out a little bit more about why it was such a challenge for internal communication teams. Perfect. Yeah, I think you mentioned kind of the growth in those roles and um, I'm just thinking maybe kind of things like the gig economy is also contributing to that fact where you've got a lot of people working for um, maybe an umbrella brand but have no physical location and no need for a physical location. Um, Things like, uh, you know, Uber, delivery, those kind of people, I guess. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's it's also tying in with people's expectations of organisations today. We could link it into social purpose and lots of broader themes and topics that come up around organisational culture and, and how we work today, which is just very, very different. Even if I think about the people that work in hospitality, when I was younger, going out for dinner was was a treat. It wasn't something that you did necessarily all the time. But nowadays, people are eating out so much more. The number of restaurants and coffee shops that we see on the high street um, has probably tripled, you know, in the last 10 years. So I just think that with society changing, people eating out more and all those things, we're just seeing a very big shift in in the types of businesses and organisations that exist today. Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, you can't, can't move for a coffee shop these days. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, and for someone who doesn't drink coffee, that's kind of a limited appeal, but um, there's some great hot chocolates around, so that's 
Exactly. And always a croissant. You can always go and get a croissant if nothing else. <laughs> yeah. That's my Achilles here. A pan au chocolat and you've got me. <laughs> um, so in the research, I guess there's kind of two definitions of um, a remote worker. There's uh, solitary and team. So it'd be great to go straight into that part and understand maybe some of the kind of key differences that your research highlighted for those, those two differences. Yeah, so we have solitary team and we also identified mixed, um, but the, the core two are solitary and team. So what we found when we were talking to people was that the the task that they were doing uh, and the way they worked with other people in the organisation linked to the types of conversations they could have and the communication that they needed. So when we, when we were doing the research, it's important to say that we did this um, with Social Optics platform, and it was all done on an iPad, so it was kind of five minutes. People could go through quite quickly uh, and answer the questions, but we did it face-to-face -face with them. So the results that we've got are a mixture of that data capture, but also the conversations that we were having. And it was really when you look at both the data capture and the conversations that we started to draw out this piece around the different types of um remote worker so your solitary worker would be your bus driver essentially so they don't need anybody else to do their job the task the driving of the bus they do that completely on their own they're not reliant on anybody else really to, to do that then you've got team now team for me is quite an overused word in organizations but that's a, a slightly different topic um, but for me a team is is a team in the truest sense so you are reliant on each other to, to deliver the task. So this is where we're looking at the fire service, for example. That is a true example of a team where you've got different skills coming together. And then you've got mixed, which just sits somewhere in the middle. And this, for me, was the people that work in the hospitality, those kind of spaces. So whilst I may be responsible as the waitress in that environment to take the food from the kitchen to serve the customer, I don't rely on anyone else to do that task, but I do rely on the kitchen to make sure that the food is to the standard um, and that it's to the quality that the customer would expect. So it's somewhat mixed. With those three different types comes just a slightly different interaction with each other. So if you think about the solitary, when we were with the bus drivers, for example, their time when they're together is completely social. So their conversations aren't really about work. Whereas when you're looking at someone that's mixed, most of their conversations are linked to the tasks they're doing and the interactions that they're trying to complete in order to serve the customer. So the types of content that they're sharing with each other, their time for communication varies quite dramatically depending on the, the type of remote worker that they are. So I hadn't really considered that kind of element of the internal communications, the kind of colleague to colleague social interaction. I'd, I'd only really ever thought about the maybe the more intentional communications from um, maybe the C-level execs or the internal comms department to the employees. So it's really interesting that that kind of communication and the, the purpose of it really changes depending on how you're performing your task or who you're performing the task with. That, that's really fascinating. Yeah, it was something that, that really surprised us. And I think as we, were, as we go through the research, and one of the things that we talk about a lot when we've presented it has been around the the really sort of, you know, micro environment that these guys work in. And I think it's easy for us as internal communicators to to think about, to your point, that intentional communication from the centre out and also getting some of that back. But actually, their worlds are very, very local, like hyper-local and more local than I think we probably give it credit for. Um, and that's the piece that we, we really have to understand and respect as well, that it's not just about the bigger organisation for them. 
So in, in terms of those kind of um, those kind of micro environments, then would that be kind of like physical spaces and does that present kind of opportunities and maybe limitations for, for companies to use those um, kind of hyper micro environments for the official company communications? Uh, yeah, definitely. And I think when I think back to when I was head of internal communications for a company called SSP, and they do the food and drink in train stations and airports around the world. So I was looking uh, at how we'd communicate with nearly, you know, 80% remote deskless workforce. And if you think about the the units or the stores that you'd go to in a train station, they're very small. So the office space that exists for them is equally very small. And we might think in the centre that we'll send a poster out or do something linked to a new crisis line or something like that. But actually, their wall space and their whole space is 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 very small. And they want to use that space to talk to each other as a team and and do things that are way more local and way more, you know, to some degree more important. You know, they're kind of their rotors and handovers and those things. So it's just really thinking about the environment that they're in, what what the reality is of how they want to use that space and giving them the autonomy to use that space, how they want to use it as well we certainly saw themes of the lack of autonomy that comes with being um this sort of remote worker is really quite a challenge because they they have a task to do they're quite prescriptive in how they do that task so if you take away any other part of autonomy so you're sort of telling them where to put posters on the walls or how to do this then they don't have huge levels of of motivation uh, which is something to also consider yeah, one thing that came up from um, when I was going through the research, um, it struck me that notice boards were still kind of really quite um, one of the key channels, I guess, and, and mm-hmm. one of the ones that were um, preferred, if that's not too strong a word, um, by kind of some uh, some of the different types of, of remote workers. And that, I guess, um, perhaps it's the roles that I've been in that have become um, more and more to almost solely digital Based in terms of communications, that kind of really, um, yeah, that was unexpected, I guess, for me. Yeah, and I think this links to to the theme around third space, which we uncovered in the research, which is where um, what we see is where you've got digital screens, and and when we talk about this, when we present it, and we ask people, have you got digital screens in your organisation? And a few hands will go up, and then we'll say, do those screens work? And most people say, absolutely not. And what we've seen is those screens being switched off or, or turned off. Um, some We've had stories of PlayStations being plugged in and all sorts of things, um, uh, anecdotally, which is always interesting to hear. But the reasons why that doesn't work is because a digital screen uh, is much more intrusive. And that's why notice boards are much more preferred, because it's my choice to go over and read that notice board, whereas a digital screen is, is much more... Uh, in your face it's much louder it's more disruptive to your your break time the third space piece comes in which is a a a phrase coined by ray oldenburg who's a sociologist and starbucks use this in their brand and their marketing material so if you think about going to a starbucks they encourage that that is your third space so it's a space distinct of being at work and being at home and it's that space where you're with friends and you're socializing and you're building community what we tend to do as internal communicators is we'll put digital screens into the third space inside organisations, so the mess rooms, the canteens, because that's where everybody sits together. But what we're doing is we're going into their third space. So for them, that space is not where they do their job. You know, the bus drivers, they do their job driving the bus. 
So by putting a screen in there, we're just really intruding in their space. I can put a notice board in there and that will go down much better because it's their choice to go and read it. It's not going to disrupt them from having their conversations. Uh, and it's that autonomy piece again. It's giving them that freedom to choose whether or not they want to go and read that information. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. And a part of me wonders if um, kind of uh, notice board versus um, a digital screen kind of maybe if someone's expecting a screen up there, it's like, oh, well, then I could be watching the telly on that instead of watching the yeah. um, corporate communications. It's almost um, like, well, you show me that we can get the digital screen up there, but now you're kind of forcing something on me that I'm not really wanting to watch. And in my head, I can uh, can think that it could be used for something more social or more pleasurable for, for me, the individual. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there are places where the screens do work. So there's definitely um, some places where we've seen that the screens work very well. Uh, and we can talk about channels and channel choice and, and that a bit later on. But I think if you're if you're not having much success with the screens, it's, it will be down to the third space elements. Um, so have a look at switching it out to a notice board and looking at, at doing those really, really well. Yeah, no, that's, that's a good point. And I guess a, a great segue to, to talk about channels. And, and one thing that really struck me, um, both with this research and some um, kind of uh, other information that I've seen and conversations I've had is around um, the role of line managers. So it's kind of, you know, the internal comms message is, is coming from, say, the internal comms department. Um, and kind of a lot of it is very dependent on, on how the, a line manager um, can, can communicate that and, and respond to questions. And um, I'm just wondering what the kind of... Um, use of, of line managers for remote workers is like in, 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 as a channel compared to maybe, you know, kind of the usual office-based approach. Yeah, and I think um, the piece about line managers for me would work both in terms of this research specifically about remote workers, but I'd also look at line managers in the broader working environment because line managers come up again and again as one of the biggest uh, blockers or barriers to successful communication. What we found in the research was that the line manager and whether or not your manager is a good communicator tracks across everything else that you're doing. So what you what we've traditionally thought is your line manager is very important when it comes to communication and engaging the workforce, um, but they are kind of standalone as a channel. What this research tells us is that if you have a print magazine and an intranet and a notice board and you're managing those centrally from internal communications teams, even if you're doing those amazingly well, if the line manager isn't a good communicator, they will bring down every other channel. So it completely tracks across all the other questions. And we can see that the, the core link being the skills of that line manager and their communication um, skills. Because it's so important because they will be the ones to say, oh, I won't give out the magazine or I won't put this on the notice board or whatever it might be. But they have a, a huge link to the success of any other channel that's being used. And, and do you feel that there's or have you seen that there's kind of um, the right kind of training or programs in place to help um, new line managers or to help managers that are transitioning into a kind of remote team? Is that something that's kind of very um, 
has been taken on board by companies or is that something that's kind of been highlighted by the um, reportees um, as, a, as a challenge that's kind of not quite there, been taken care of yet? Yeah, I think, I mean, for me, the the training around communication inside organisations is, is really not, not very good at all. I've been doing some training on it, which, which I wasn't expecting to do on the back of this research where people have said, can you come and run some sessions on how to have impactful communication, um, which is great because actually for me, the, the, the core to our success as internal communicators is helping managers, leaders be better communicators. Uh, and I think that goes a, a, across the board. I don't think we are good at helping managers who are maybe very skilled at the task develop their management skills. I haven't seen a huge amount of success around that. And I I think it's one of our biggest failings. I remember hearing um, a communications director talk about the fact that they they kind of linked communications functions to a finance function. And it's the best analogy I've heard where he said, you know, when you're a new manager, you will probably go to the finance department and you will probably spend time with them to understand the reports you're going to get, how to manage your budget, how to manage your P&L, whatever it might be, you'd, you'd go to finance for that sort of kickoff discussion. You're then given the tools and everything to do that. And you might go back to finance every now and then to double check something or just to go over some detailed stuff. But essentially, you're given everything you need to go and do the job. That doesn't happen with communication functions. Nobody goes to the communications teams for a talk to me about how to be a better communicator with my team and give me the tools to go and do that. And then I'm going to come back to you as and when I need you. We haven't got to that maturity level yet as communications functions, certainly not in the masses. I'm sure there's pockets of it, but it's not the norm that your communications function would be offering that level of service. And that for me is where I really want us to get to as a, as a profession and industry, whatever you want to call it. But that if there's a, a you know, line manager or an operations manager who's leading a, a team across a, a, an area, so you've got vast numbers of direct reports, plus then people working for them, that they would come to the communications function, not just because they want to do a campaign on well-being or because they want to launch a new newsletter, but because they want to look at their skills as a manager and how they communicate and engage. Yeah, that, that's a really good point. Is that it's not something for a specific campaign, but it's to make um, their job probably easier, better. The mm-hmm. impact on their reportees is also going to be, um, you know, really profound if they can start making the information they're talking about more relevant and um, easier to understand. So I wonder if on the flip side of that, whether there's kind of some more work that companies can do during the onboarding stage for employees, that it's almost being um, kind of a bit of a training, coaching perhaps on the different channels that the company uses for internal communications. I can think of different places I've worked where it's very much um, the person I end up sitting next to who's been here longer than I have kind of saying, oh, you need to go to this to check out this and have you set up this. It's not necessarily been part of the formal kind of welcome to your role. Um, It's been kind of training and onboarding. And and I wonder if that's kind of um, just kind of my experience or if that's reflective across, you know, many people. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I used to uh, I used to go to the induction when we had new managers joining and I'd talk about our IBM Connections platform and our magazine and the fact that we did an annual conference and, and all those things. So I'd spend time talking to them about how we communicate as an organization. That was really important to me. Induction is once a month. So 
you know, half an hour once a month for me to go and talk to new managers about how things work around here and how we communicate is really important. And I think I think that's starting to become more normal. I think the the difficulty is that we are still very focused on on the channels and how does that work rather than how do you need to communicate as a manager? And I think they're two quite different things. And I just don't think we're we're quite there yet in being able to say, you know, we've been working with learning and development and this is now the workshop that we run on impactful communications or how to have difficult conversations. I just don't know that that's as normal as it as it could be. Yeah, so still there's still still quite some some work to do in there and um it this feels like it kind of ties into um the part of the research that looks at the relevance and I feel like the relevance of um kind of messages being passed into the employees kind of did differ slightly than maybe the accuracy. Um and mm. yeah, it'd be good to, to get your take on, on the differences and some of the similarities between between that bit. Yeah, so the relevancy stuff's really interesting. Whenever we talk about this, Benjamin always really nicely articulates where the relevance piece really plays in. And it's linked to the noise that we hear a lot about. So people will often say, there's so much noise in here. I get so many emails, there's so much noise. What we saw in the research is that you don't uh, differentiate between noise and relevance. So if I send you 10 emails that are all about a different site or they are linked to different people or they're not specific for your job, you would say, oh, there's so much noise in this organization. I get so many emails. If I send you 10 emails that are very specific to you to allow you to do the job, to feel connected to your team, to to be relevant to the to the role that you play in the organization, you would say, actually, no, it's fine. Actually, everything I receive is relevant. I have what I need to do my job. I don't feel like we've got too much noise. So we we don't link uh, noise and relevance. So those 10 emails, it, the important piece there is how relevant is that content to that individual? And from a central perspective, quite often, we go for relevance in a very broad sense. So we'll say, right, well, this is about that site or that location. It needs to be way more relevant than that. And that links back to the data that we have to hand internally, which is often not quite as good as we want it to be. But the the relevant piece came out as being equally as important as the line manager skills for me and and I think something we underestimate hugely. Yeah, and something you just mentioned there in terms of the the data not always being kind of as um as as deep or as insightful as as needed. Kind of one of the themes that's come out of um of this podcast series has been around measurement of internal communications and mm-hmm. um I'm very aware that that's not a um a, a two-minute answer or, or anything of, of the sort, but it'd be great to get your take on um, what things need to maybe be looked at differently for kind of the measurement. So uh, one thing that came previously was that um, all the internal communications emails were sent via Outlook, and quite an easy change would be to use a traditional um, marketing system where you could have a look at exactly who it's been sent to, delivered, bounced, um, opened and clicked. And I should mm-hmm. be get your thoughts on kind of some some of those type of measurement techniques or or where we think we could go with that. Yeah, I mean measurements measurements are a big topic. The the CIPR uh, internal comms group inside on, on sort of as I was leaving as chair, we did a piece of research uh, in partnership with the Institute of Internal Comms on measurement of internal communications. It was led by Trudy Lewis. Um, and Helen Deverell was involved from the CIPR Inside Committee with Suzanne Peck from the IOIC. And we looked at what already existed in terms of measuring internal comms and then what the gaps were. 
and and for me there's some there's some fundamental things to think about so the example you just gave there of changing an email provider to one that allows you to measure is is fine i mean for me how many people have clicked on something how many people have opened something is is one way of measuring another way of measuring would be if you've if you've asked me as your internal communications team to help you do a campaign because we need to reduce our accidents from 50% to 20%, then my measure is whether we've reduced accidents from 50% to 20%. It's not how many people have read that post or how many people have heard that message. It has to be linked to the behavior change that you're trying to, to influence. But to measure effectively, your objectives have to be sound. And quite often, if I'm looking at award entries or anything like that, it's the objectives where we're falling down. We're not being clear enough of what we're really trying to achieve. And the, the measurement side of it is, is such a big word. I blogged about this the other day. It, measurement is different things. And, and often I'll show pictures of somebody having their blood pressure taken or somebody measuring up a window or somebody measuring um, using measuring spoons to cook. They're all measurements, but they're doing very different things. And I think we have to get way more granular in what we're looking at around measurement in order to have success in our organisation. What we found in that research um, that we did with CIPR inside, and there's a report that is available for people to read the exec summary. And if you're a member, you can download the whole thing. But the biggest thing for me where I was looking at what exists today is all the models, all the stuff we were reading, all linked back to the Barcelona principles. Um, and there's eight of those. You can go and find those in the report and also on the AMIC website. But they all really link back to that. So if you can take those principles, tweak them, you know, apply them to your organisation, then then that's really where you need to start from. That and getting your objectives nailed um, is the most important. Yeah, that's, that's a really interesting take on it. And um, I feel like that, mirrors some of the conversations I've had around um, kind of which technologies or tools to use and it's kind of like well that's you know that's the wrong way around of looking at it it should be what's the objective or what's the message and, yeah. and then that would then dictate kind of um, which channels um, could be used and then which channels are used could be different again um, I think we've all worked somewhere where uh, there's an internet being updated by someone who who must go home and, and cry because no no one's reading the post despite that being the official um the official channel um we're talking kind of about measurement and, and and different ways of of looking at it and the objectives base should be kind of you know the overall end goal of of a campaign whether that's kind of external communications internal communications um one thing that um, someone I know has, has done before that they uh, analyze the, um, the words or the common words in questions after say a, um, kind of an all hands or a town hall event and, and people submit questions kind of either before or, or after and it's analyzing are the topics that have been covered have they been understood kind of with the questions that have been submitted mm. afterwards I thought that was quite a good way of doing it because you can't actually put a number on that and it's not something that's quick and easy to do um, but certainly from their point of view, it was if they're looking to change either behavior or a process, but then the questions were still coming about the old process. And um, that was kind of quite a clear indication to them that they had work still to do on, on that message. Yeah. And I think you've hit the nail on the head there around, you know, it, it's not just about one form of measurement. So we talk about survey fatigue. We talk about um, doing pulse surveys and employee engagement surveys. I've just done a load of listening interviews where I sit one-to-one -one with people and ask them the same sort of questions. But having that really 
um, sort of human time, if you like, with somebody and having a conversation about how they feel about work and their challenges, you can really drill into the language that they're using, the way they're saying it, their body, all the things that go with communication um, that allow you to really understand. I can't put a metric on those. I can't say, you know, 67% of people said that they, you know, felt safe at work. But I can draw the themes out of that. And that's my experience and my judgment. And that's that's what you're looking for from a communication professional is what's the right measurement for us to achieve what we want to achieve. And and then what how do you apply that to then fixing it and, and solving the issue that you've got? Oh, you make it sound so easy. <laughs> yeah, I've been doing it for 15 years. That's all. <laughs> um, it would be good, good to talk. Um a bit of a maybe a summary of maybe some of the opportunities. So we talked a lot about maybe some of the difficulties or challenges that the research kind of highlighted in terms of um, making sure the relevance is there and it's not invading a third space. But it'd be really interesting to see kind of what opportunities you kind of um, picked out from the re the research for that for in, for companies to take on board with these type of um, remote workers. Yeah, I think um, there's there's lots of opportunities. I think we're still seeing uh, we're seeing an increase, but it's a very slow and steady increase in the strategies that people have in internal communication. What we found when we did the research, because we did it for free for organisations, they got their own report so that they got something for helping us do it. So we went and spoke to heads of internal comms or internal comms managers with the data specific to their organisation. That allowed us to really get underneath what we were seeing and just just verify that the, what we were seeing was was accurate. Where there was a process, a structure, a strategy, it was much easier for them to do personalised content and relevant content for the employees. So there's a huge opportunity, I think, to just take the time to do the strategy and do some of that thinking, and and using data driven insights to do that. So it would be great to see an increase in that and and the opportunity that that brings, just to make your life easier, really, as a team. I think the other opportunities for me are really around people. So I talk a lot about the importance of of people in organisations and remembering that we need social connection, we need relationships uh, as as the human species. And I think spending time with people to help them understand that is such a huge opportunity that if we don't start to invest in our line managers or in people and their communication skills, we can invest all we want in digital channels and and digital screens or whatever we want to invest in we're not going to make any difference if we don't help people communicate more effectively and so that's the biggest opportunity for me is now is the time for us to really look at how do I make a difference by coming back to some of the real fundamentals of what it is to to, to be a manager and, and lead a team. Yeah that's that's really interesting it's it's, it's um, yeah not being distracted by the uh, shiny new digital tool out there which can promise to reach 99% of the audience and guarantee X percent of engagement. It's uh, actually, do the managers, do the employees have those um, and some of the interpersonal skills to make sure that those messages can be um, conveyed and, and understood easily? Yeah, and I think when you're working remotely, you know, I've, I've, I've known a lot of people that work in, in the airline industry and they'll often say, you know, we're just a number. Um, or I'll hear a case study at a conference with the internal comms team talking about how they've transformed this organization through various digital channels. And then I'll go and talk to people that I know work at that organization and they'll say, I've got no idea what you're talking about. And I think it's, it's getting a bit of a reality check of 
actually, you know, the work that some of these guys are doing when they're remote are incredibly remote, even if they are, you know, working in uh, telecommunications or anything like that. They could be on their own. They might be doing shift work where they don't see their manager. They might be communicated to completely digitally. So they get information on their phone that tells them where they need to go next or when their break is. And they don't talk to somebody uh, in a line manager or, or in a team capacity because their team is so fluid. I think there's so much more to explore in some of the industries that have remote teams and what that really means. And I think just just taking time to really think about that, think about their day, think about how they work, will really start to shift some of the things that we think are the right solutions from a digital perspective. Yeah, no, that, that's, yeah, I can't agree more. And I, and I think coming from... Uh, maybe an external communications point of view, which is kind of where where I work. Um, I think it's kind of the same type of thing. You can see companies that have mm-hmm. kind of got lost in um, trying to kind of own a channel, be most effective at a channel, and, and have forgotten the need to to craft that message and craft that story for people. At the end of the day, I know it's kind of your, maybe on, if you're social media advertising or um, it's kind of accounts and you, it's all numbers on a screen. But yeah, in reality, it's it's uh, it's John at home who, who you're talking to, and it needs to make sure that you have got that message just right for him. So the podcast is called Remote Control, and I feel like this this last question is kind of slowly being discovered for what it is, and it's it's to fill up my Netflix list. Um, <laughs> I, I, just, I just felt that I couldn't really do a podcast called Remote Control and not ask for some telly recommendations. So, Jenny, are you watching anything that you could recommend? Uh, there's no judgment. Uh, well, not at least while we're recording, anyway. <laughs> um, gosh, quite a lot. Trying not to not to watch as much as probably I have been, but um, but my husband and I are both big fans of, of Netflix and Amazon Prime, so. Um, so from a Netflix perspective, I'm a big fan of Queer Eye because that's nice, light relief. Um, I recently watched Unbelievable, which is a, a short series um, of crime drama, which was really good. Um, no, no spoilers. The, no spoilers. No, spoilers. no, no, no spoilers. Um, and then Amazon Prime, where we watched The Boys, which I don't know if you've come across, which is a sort of dark side of superheroes, um, which yeah. is brilliant. So yeah, really good. Really- Really like that alternative take on um, on the superheroes. You're a bit gruesome. Yeah. Probably, probably come with some kind of guidance rating there on this podcast. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah definitely. Not, not but I think um, yeah, there's some good stuff across across those. We just what we started watching something last night with Paul Rudd, and I can't think what it's called now. Um, but that's on Netflix. Uh, Learning to live with yourself, or something like that. My husband finds all sorts. So, uh, and that looks really interesting. The first episode certainly got me interested to watch a few more. So, um, so that would be on the list too. Oh, perfect! I'll check that one up as well. Um, well, just before we go, Jenny, um, we spoke a lot about um, the re- remotely interested research. Do you just want to kind of let people know where they can can find that? Yeah, sure. So um, the report is totally free. You can go to remotelyinterested.work uh, and there's a summary on there and you can download the report as well. We ha- are giving you the option when you download it if you want to uh, have us come in and run a session with some of your teams about the research. So what we found is that a few people have said, oh, I'd love you to come and talk to my leadership team about why this is so important. Um, and we're happy to come in and do that um, if it's helpful as well. So uh, there's options on there, but just you can get in touch with me on Twitter. I'm at Mrs. Jenny Field uh, if there's anything that you want to talk about specifically. But the more we can share this research and the more we can help internal comms people use it to have those conversations in the workplace, then the better. 
Perfect. Well, um, yeah, the only thing left for me to do is to, uh, to say thank you. Really appreciate um, kind of you coming on and, yeah, giving us so much insight from, from the research. It's been really interesting. It's been great. Thank you very much for having me. No problem.